What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to episode 57 of the Jake Podcast. It is 7 o'clock on Wednesday, August 8th. Man, we're already a week through August. Feels like the summer is just flying by, but it was a really fun week this past week. Had a lot going on. Let's get right to it. I'll jump right into the Jake News of the Week. This ain't fake news. This is Jake News. Coming in hot with the sports report of Urban Meyer. And he's going to have a two-week investigation going into what he knew and the handling of the Zach Smith domestic violence case. Now, I've kind of made my point with all of this and that I think uh, Urban Meyer may have done what he was supposed to do, what like legally he was supposed to do, but I still don't think that was good enough. That's my stance on Urban Meyer is that Yes, maybe he did do the the right thing, but maybe he didn't do like the best thing. And you know, it's just very hypocritical coming from him. You know, and his camp of this whole—they have the words "honesty" painted in the locker room. They have, you know, respect women. Literally, respect women is painted in the locker room. So you'd think a guy like this, who's known for being a family man and having two daughters and a wife, and every everyone being like. You know, oh, the Meyer family is the, you know, like this, like, beautiful American family. And for him to just cover this up after, you know, the Elliot stuff was out there, too. And Carlos Hyde stuff was out there, too. It just seems like, you know, this is very inconsistent. And maybe you did do the right thing. And maybe you won't get fired and keep your job. But, you know, you owe more than that. And your reputation is going to get hurt from that. But we should be... You know, monitoring this going forward, this is a very interesting case. He's right now indefinitely suspended from Ohio State for coaching. And I'm very interested to see how swiftly they come down on him. I think he's going to kind of, I don't think he's, I think he might serve a two-game suspension or something. Like It's like, hey, early in the season, he gets suspended for like that Mac game or whatever. I actually don't know who they start with. Maybe they start with a tougher game this year. But I don't see him getting fired. I see him kind of skating by and his reputation taking a hit from that. And they're going to win a lot of games. And I don't know, a lot of Ohio State fans don't really care about anything but winning. And it's a right now it's a bad look. The rally for him was a very bad look. And uh, look, this will be very interesting going forward. But that's not the only news we have right now. This is a very fun weekend. We celebrated my birthday last week. Uh, this past Saturday was August 4th, my birthday, and we had the dodgeball championship. We had a lot of friends and family coming in from out of town, not for my, you know, not for my birthday. They came in for a baptism for my cousin, but regardless, they were here, had a great time, didn't spend a whole lot of money because everybody's so generous, but went to Park House, went to Boat House, went to Tap House, literally, literally went to Park House again. Uh, and then it's sandwiched in a couple parties and some bad eating and everything in between. So trying to right the ship. But a major shout out to everybody that came in and celebrated with me. Uh, I have a great group of friends that uh, were, you know, I was able to see a good amount of them this weekend. And a lot of cousins and my girlfriend gave me some really great gifts. And everything just went really, really well, you know, with everyone. So a special shout out to everybody who could make this past weekend as special as it was. Going into dodgeball, though, the 10th and final dodgeball, Scotto Dodgeball Championship. Uh, 
coming off of a championship myself last year. The monkey was off my back. Didn't have any pressure on me. It was all about just having a good time and not getting hurt. And you know what? I did both those things. I had a great time. I had a great squad. We went 6-2. and two. Didn't win it. We lost in the semifinals. We were the one seed. And you know what? I had a really good team. Uh, got away with drafting a couple of college kids, which is usually the go-to move. You know, you, I don't draft my friends anymore. It's all about drafting the most athletic people out there and smart dodgeball players. And I think I had a really good team. We just, you know, at, in the end, we lost to the champs, John Scotto's squad. And He's the first four-time champion of the league. I don't think Tom was very happy about that. And you know what? Maybe the dodgeball, you know, maybe it's not over. It doesn't it doesn't feel over. It doesn't feel like this is the last tournament we'll ever have. Maybe we'll have to have some type of you know, like regrouping or restructuring so that uh we're asking very less of Mr. and Mrs. Scotto, who throw such a great party and a great tournament and everything, but you know, it just doesn't feel over. So Keep tabs on that going forward, and I know one guy, Cousin Al, who was unfortunately missing this uh, this tournament for a wedding, you know, I don't think Al has retired the dodgeball sneaks. I think uh, maybe we'll revisit this, so really cool. But the other thing that went on this weekend after the baptisms, after the beach, after the drinking, after, you know, I and hey, my drinking led to me unbuttoning every button I had. I, if you watch... Any snap or any Instagram story of anyone that was around me, you might say, hey, Jake, maybe put on a little bit more clothes. Maybe uh, button up a little bit. So who knows? Uh, a lot of people don't like that, but it's my fucking birthday, so deal with it. Uh, got a nice shirt. I don't want to use the buttons. You know, who's going to judge me? The other thing that went on, though, and we're going to recap, uh, Chauncey the Raccoon Boy went up in Rough and Rowdy 4 in Youngstown, which was a huge hit, and even though Raccoon Boy ended up losing, he did not win the fight, which was very surprising. I was uh, shocked that Jordan McGuire was, you know, had him by that much because it really wasn't even that close. But uh, Chauncey stole our hearts. You know, my cousin he really did per put on a performance at the weigh-in. He was foaming at the mouth. Uh, he came into the ring in a garbage can, which was pretty difficult to get out of, so that was hilarious in itself. They wouldn't let him fight with his uh, his leather vest on, so he took it off and just showed his natural hairy chest vest. And uh, man, it was just it was a lot of fun. He uh, he represented Youngstown well in that he kept on fighting right to the end, but lost anyway. And you know what? It was great. This isn't the last we've seen a Raccoon Boy. I'm really excited for Chauncey to see him, you know, possibly end up. Uh, working more with Barstool because they love him. You know, it, it was pretty obvious that uh, Roan and Big Cat and Erica Nardini and everyone over at Barstool that uh, he he met the right people and befriended the right people for this whole tournament. So I'm excited to see the future of Raccoon Boy and excited to see what Chance is going to bring to the table next. Maybe his career isn't in boxing. Maybe it's maybe it's Barstool Heartland. Maybe it's you know just a Having his own podcast, I'll have to have him on coming up. You know, maybe at the end of the uh, of the month, and we'll talk and see uh, see what we can do for the Raccoon Boy and what what maybe his future may hold. So excited uh, for him because he really did put on a show. That was that was a lot of fun. So it was a great weekend though. Rough and rowdy, the birthday, 
the dodgeball, went to all my favorite places, saw all my favorite people. It was it was a great time, and I really appreciate everything that went to it. Now, something that's really cool that I wanted to point out, uh, I've never had anything like this on my podcast before, but celebrating a 10-year anniversary of one of my best vacations of my entire life, probably the number one vacation I've ever been on, and that was going to Banff in British Columbia, Canada. I'm pretty sure it's British Columbia, not Alberta, but it's out west. I think we flew into Calgary in Alberta and then drove to Banff in British Columbia. But this lodge called Nipica, where it was designed by a trip. It started two years previous when my friend Mike Scotto, three of his friends, and their forefathers all went out to the Grand Canyon and had a guy's trip after vacation. Or after I'm sorry, after graduation. And it went over so well with the guys that went that Mr. Scotto, Mike's dad, decided to do it for each of his sons. And Tom being one of my best friends and uh, my grade upon our graduation, Tom brought me, his cousin Frankie, uh, our buddies Chris Heine and Derek Craig, uh, our other buddies Leo Clark and Phil Smith, and we uh, and it was just an unbelievable trip. And then we brought uh, a bunch of the dads too that came as well, and we had uh, a really really great time, just jumping in the cleanest water you've ever seen. We would it would come down from the glacier and melt and kind of form like this little brook of the coldest, cleanest water I'll ever see in my life and dripped into this man-made pool that we jumped into and it was probably 10, 12 feet deep and you could see the bottom like it was right in front of your face because the water was so clean and it was so cold and they had a hot tub there that would jump in and out of the hot tub and then into the water and really get like, that will really like get your soul going too because that is some euphoric shit right there. It was an unbelievable trip. We also celebrated my 19th birthday out there and we built a big ass bonfire that definitely was illegal. Uh, we drank Coconese and Molson's all week long and Coconese is like the kind of like Keystone light of, of Canada and it was it was just a great time just drinking with a bunch of friends Right before going off to college, we came back, and two days later, Tom and I went to Catholic and never looked back. And I look back at those pictures and I say, "Damn, Jake, what the fuck happened? You really let yourself go." <laughs> so, aside from the fact that I could really use a, a diet and some uh, some lifting weights, uh, it's really good to look back at that. And ten years of of that trip, I mean, we did we did hikes, a hike that. When everyone went on, they thought when they left me behind that uh, Jake had to turn around. He had to go back. He's uh, he's not the hiker, and I'm not. I'm not trying to be. I'm not trying to act like I am. But they assumed I wasn't going to be able to perform and finish the hike. And I was about 15 minutes behind them, but I finished that hike too. And, and it was pretty cool. We have a picture on that mountaintop of that. and That was, uh, that was really something special. And I got to use that for the Instagram. Instagram post because, uh, wow, what a trip that was. And, and, uh, I'll, I'll never forget it. I'll have to share some of Mr. Scott's picks because you know, we, it was really, it was really something else. So if you're ever looking for a vacation recommendation, 
I'm your guy. I've been everywhere, right? I've gone to Europe. I've gone to Florida. I've gone to like all the party cities like Vegas and, and New Orleans. And uh, I'm from, you know, New Jersey, New York. And I've, hey, Cleveland, also a vacation town. If you want to, you know, save some cash and also have a good time and drink your face off. Yeah, why not? Uh, but in all seriousness, no, it was, it, I mean, it's my favorite vacation of all time. Banff, Canada, British Columbia, whatever. And uh, a lodge called Nipica, and it was just a special experience of whitewater river rafting, swimming in the coldest, cleanest water. We did some fishing. We did some golfing. I didn't golf. I suck. But uh, and just uh, hiked. Just a real great guys trip. So hit me up if you're ever looking for some details, and I can uh, share that with you. So, but happy 10 years to the Nipica trip and all the guys that were with me on the Nipica trip. That was uh, something else really unforgettable now moving to today before we get into the shows of the week I have a double one minute movie review that I want to do I had one last week but you know what with the Chauncey interview I was uh, you know pretty rushed late last week when I did this and I really wanted to spend time on these I got to see two movies this past week in two very different settings. The first was my girlfriend and I watched the Belco experiment and just ordered it or it was it was on HBO and and put it on while we were just laying down. And then the other was a couple nights later, my buddy Pat and I did a cruise night and we went to see Mission Impossible Fallout in an IMAX theater. Hey, both are great movie experiences. We'll start with Belco. Now, okay, so the Belco experiment takes place in Colombia or Brazil or some type of South American, Latin American country that, you know what, it's, it, it, it's not friendly towards Americans. And it shows a bunch of people arriving to work at a remote destination, kind of like it looks like literally a big suitcase out in the middle of fucking nowhere with one road going in and a lot of security. And... The security detail that day was very specific, and and uh, it was new guys, and they directed everybody inside, and everyone was like, what the hell's going on here? And it was a major lockdown that started, and all 80 employees were inside, you know, what, you know, with different types of jobs. You know, one guy was like the, you know, head of the company, the boss man, another guy was like a pencil pusher, there was the new girl, obviously, and then there was a couple of like maintenance workers, Good actors, though. Michael Rooker was in it. Uh, John C. McGinley is in it. And uh, a couple other guys I don't want to spoil too much, but very good cast, too. The only thing I had a problem with was I knew right from the beginning. And it wasn't for a spoiler. It was straight up just how they were building the characters. I said, this fucker is going to live. I just, I knew it the whole time. I, I knew it down in my soul. I'm like... This guy, I hate him. I'm not going to spoil who it was, but I just knew this guy was going to live. And then there were a couple other characters that I was like, ah, they're going to live too, and this and that. And you know what? Like, I'm not going to say how it ends, because I really don't want to spoil this movie, because I want people to go see it. But, man, is it a fucking bloodbath. And, man, did they get me at a couple times. Because I, I got some of the predictable parts, but in the end, I, I was pretty wrong on a lot of things. And uh, they did set it up nicely for a sequel. 
I'm not going to say what that means, what it, who it involves, or if it's a different character set list, or but it is a gory fight right to the end. It is pretty brutal. I wouldn't watch this with your mom. I would straight up watch this just like with your boys or by yourself. I watched it with my girlfriend and she really enjoyed it. So I, that was pretty cool to find out. I was like, damn, you're into this type of like hardcore gore. That's awesome. So I would give the Belco experiment a solid uh, two thumbs up. Great rank ranking on the on the Jake movie scale. Good movie. Uh, I need more like it. And I don't know who directed it. I, I forget. I don't know if it was like Shane Black or if it was, uh, you know, one of those. Oh no, it was um, it was it was James Gunn. Yikes! But uh, I mean, I, I need more like gory movies out of James Gunn. You know, aside from the fact that he's in a little bit of trouble right now and the Guardians, you know, three thing is going around. But because uh, his brother Sean Gunn was in the movie too, it was a really entertaining movie. And if you like the type of scary movie that it's just like fucking killing everybody, this is for you. So two thumbs up, Belco Experiment. All right, now moving on to the second one-minute movie review of the week, Mission Impossible Fallout. Saw this last night in the IMAX theater with a big-ass thing of popcorn and a water. And going in, I actually had low expectations. Uh, the Mission Impossible movies can sometimes be hit or miss for me. I didn't like Ghost Protocol. I didn't like Mission Impossible 2. But I loved the first one. I really liked the third one with Philip Seymour Hoffman. And I thought I liked the fifth one. Now, the thing I mean by saying thought was I completely forget watching it. I know I did because I was like, at one point I remember being like, I've seen them all. But now I'm starting to think back. I'm like, I don't fucking remember the fifth one, which is unfortunate. And that one was called rogue nation it was about this syndicate and all these like i guess like secret assassins type thing and i did not realize this was going to be a direct sequel to that like it had everything to do with that one which kind of had me confused at a couple points but i will say it was a really entertaining movie a couple twists and turns uh in the end you take a step back and realize yeah it's like just another mission impossible but Man, it was a really fun watch. It was really good. I really liked it. It was the classic Mission Impossible type stunts. There was a great fight scene in a bathroom with th uh, three guys. There was a uh, helicopter chase. There was a motorcycle chase. There was just like another chase on feet. Like it, it, it had everything you want in the Mission Impossible movies. Had some really cool characters. Had some really good twists and turns. And I mean, the actors are great too. You had Tom Cruise, Alf Baldwin, uh, was it Vanessa Barrett? Uh, I forget her name actually. Something Barrett. Uh, uh, the one from Stella got her group back. And then you had uh, Rebecca Ferguson, who was in the last one that was really good. Simon Pegg, Lawrence Fishburne. Not Lawrence Fishburne. Fuck, Ving Rames. God damn it. Strike one for Jaker. It was a really good movie, and I would say just make sure you see the fifth one, Rogue Nation, before seeing this one, because it will help knowing, uh, you know, like, hey, the whole Sean Harris, you know, he was the bad guy again, and I was like, shit, I really don't remember him at all. I like the actor, but I don't really remember him, meaning I don't remember seeing the last movie, so 
Great movie, though. Uh, must see. If, if you're into those movies, you have to be into James Bond, Mission Impossible type movies. I do. I love them. I can't get enough of them. We're way overdue for a James Bond movie. I know that's a standstill between Daniel Craig and you know picking a new script and picking a new James Bond, but you got to pump those out. Those movies are so fucking good. I need more James Bond movies. And, and I'm going to need another Mission Impossible. They, they can pick up from this one again, too. Sooner or later, they're going to have to replace Ethan Hunt, and uh, I'm here for it. I'm, I'm ready to see who that's going to be. So anyway, it was a great, great movie. I'm going to give it, uh, we're going to give it an A+. Yeah, A-plus movie for Mission Impossible, Fallout, great acting, great twists and turns, great fight scenes. What else do you want? And it's, and it's on the big screen, too. I give the big screen bonus right there because I'm going to the IMAX, and it gives me a real movie experience. I don't want to watch a movie. I want to be part of the movie, and that's IMAX's slogan if you haven't figured it out. So, yeah, really cool. All right. Next up, we're going to do a trailer review. Very special trailer this week. It is Shark Week's over, right? Shark Week ended, I think, July 31st, 30th. And I didn't get to experience as much as I wanted to. Tonight, I'm going to check out Jaws on the Beach. Probably won't catch the whole thing because it's a two-plus-hour movie, and I don't even know if they're starting it till 8.30, and I got people to see, places to go. Probably won't see it all, but... I gotta stop by and see a little bit of Jaws on the Beach. You know, I, I almost forgot about it. And I'm like, shit, you know what? They don't do this all the time. Enjoy it, what Spring Lake has to offer. So, with that being said, shark flavor is still in the air. Uh, we'll do a whole Jaws review next week. But first, I wanna do the movie trailer review breakdown, whatever we call it. I forget what we call this segment of The Meg. All right, so for those who don't know, The Meg is a movie about the Megalodon not being extinct. And of course, Jason Statham, Ruby Rose, and uh, all the greats that you see uh, fighting in these, you know, whether it's Transporter movies or John Wicks or whatever that movie may be, they have to come down and fight this shark. They have to kill it. They have to tag it. Hey, Rain Wilson's in it. Let's check out the trailer right now. All right, opening up, we're deep within the Pacific Ocean. Little Asian girl is sitting there minding her own business in a like hub well underneath the ocean uh, surface and you know she's just like playing with a toy and all of a sudden a big shadow comes behind her and yep you guessed it it's a prehistoric shark Monster outside. 
fade to black and Jason Statham knows we're dealing with something in, in unbelievable. Not of this century, not of this world. Is it an alien? No, it's just still a shark with a big ass chomp. Is bigger than we ever thought possible. How big is that thing? It was the largest shark that ever existed. To be honest, I was hoping more for like a deep blue sea type of uh, supporting cast. Uh, the black guy is from is the quarterback from uh, Blue Mountain State, so they could have gotten someone a little more famous than that. They did get uh, the like racist bad guy from Training Day, who basically plays every race in a movie. There's a something funny out there, and I forget his name, and I feel bad, but you know he's the He's the older brother in Training Day, right? And there is something out there about how he is plays like 15 different nationalities in movies. And in this, he's another one of the just like supporting actors, along with Rain Wilson from The Office, uh, a couple Asians I do not recognize, and uh, Jason Statham obviously is the main protagonist. So they're going underwater to check this out. Thoughts have been extinct. Ruby Rose. Two million years. Wrong. Possibly an old Jet Li. <laughs> wrapped up by a giant squid, but someone kills the squid. Oh my god. It's Megalodon. He's kidding, right? I love. Going from the ominous tones to, you know what, they're just trying to enjoy a day at the beach. Somewhere beyond the sea, and then there's a shark. It looks like a submarine. That thing's out there. need to find it and kill it. It is literally people paddle boarding over it, and they don't know how to like even fathom the fact that a whale is underneath them, but it is a shark the size of a whale. You guys ever watch Shark Week? He looks heroic, but he's kind of got a negative attitude. Yeah, and Rain Wilson, obviously the comic relief in this, and Jason Statham, obviously the good-looking bad boy, and of course, this is kind of shaping out to be the movie that we all expect it to be. This is not going to be a good movie, but I'm not here for good movies. I'm here for good times. This, you ugly and yeah, it's, you know, Winston Chow, so not Jet Li. I know that was slightly racist, but whatever. But yeah, this is, uh, it's shaping up to be not a great movie. The shark moves very fast, I'm noticing, which I think will come into play. I hope there are a lot of civilian casualties in this movie because that's what we're there for. If everyone gets out safely, I'm going to be pretty pissed. I want deep blue sea style of gore and, and flesh, like only one or two survivors. Oh, explosions, big shark, eating people, and coming out of nowhere, Meg is going to be, this is going to be fucking great. The Meg comes out August 10th, which is Friday. I'm going to probably find a way to see it this weekend because I've been dying to see this movie. I think it is the most 
excited I've been for a summer August movie because usually the good movies are done by now at this point in the summer. So really excited for the Meg to come out and hit the big screen. Uh, I'm sure to see it before the podcast next week. I, uh, yeah, part of next week's episode will be Jaws on the Beach, the Meg. Maybe we'll do our own little Shark Week thing. Maybe do a little top five around, top five Predators maybe. That'd be fun. But really excited to see uh, the Meg. I've been gearing up for that. I'm really fucking pumped, if you can't tell already. All right, so to finish off the episode, had a lot of fun this week, but one segment remaining, and that is right, we got the Cleveland Browns playing the New York Giants tomorrow on Thursday Night Football for the first preseason game. I am lucky enough, I will be there tomorrow. I am really excited, going to have a lot of fun with a couple of my Giants fans' friends, and uh, who knows, maybe HBO is going to find some Browns fans in the, in the crowd and Take a little picture, take a little vid here or there. That'd be pretty cool. I'm going to show off my uh, brown and orange pride and definitely enjoy myself because you know what? It's not every time you get to see your favorite team in person. And you know what? This is a nice way to break my girlfriend into my crazy fandom by starting with a early preseason football game that does not mean anything. I'm sure I won't scare her away. <laughs> but... Coming on to the podcast now, I really want uh, to review the each episode of Hard Knocks. Last night was the first episode of Hard Knocks this year with the Cleveland Browns. Obviously, I'm very biased, but if you just take a step back and take an unbiased look, there are so many storylines with this Cleveland Browns team. And we, we have been discussing this for about a month now. I talked to Jake Burns. I talked with, I mean... Uh, Zach Flaherty last week to, or two weeks ago, Sean Corey, uh, Chauncey, Raccoon Boy. A lot of different people I've talked to about the Browns. and that This team has just got a lot of storylines, a lot of things to look out for. And they keep on adding content with Antonio Callaway getting excited for marijuana and having gun parts on his car at 3 a.m. Corey Coleman, you know, interviewing for uh, <laughs> Hard Knocks and then getting traded later that day. It, it, not to mention the fact that injuries are going to happen. Josh Gordon's still not there. They have the last two first overall picks and Miles Garrett and Baker Mayfield. How, is it, how are they going to do? Is Baker Mayfield going to catch Tyrod Taylor? Jarvis Landry is a show himself. They've got Jabril Peppers. They have Denzel Ward, the number four overall pick and first cornerback taken. There are a lot of storylines. Not to mention Hugh Jackson, the 1-31. His coordinators are Greg Williams and Todd Haley, the most fiery fucking assholes you could find. There's a lot to cover in this Browns team. So they make a lot of sense for Hard Knocks. And the first episode did not disappoint. So really excited to review that right now. All right, joining me on the Jake Podcast to review episode one of Hard Knocks is none other than Brown's super fan and super optimist, Pat McGuire. What's up? Wow. Definitely the first time I've ever been described as an optimist when it comes to this team. <laughs> uh, no, I know. That was a completely sarcastic joke. But uh, 
I think uh, you know after watching last night, there is stuff to be slightly optimistic about. I mean, there's also plenty of things to be pessimistic about. So, uh, what were your takes from episode one? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I prefer to be just as realistic as possible. I, I don't think I, I know it, a lot of people think I skew negative, but I, I just try to be negative or uh, realistic. Um, I thought. I think, like everybody did, Jarvis Landry was easily the breakout star of the uh, the episode. Um, not just, I mean, you know, bless him, but the catchphrase was was pretty pretty cool. But I like the leadership, man. I, I thought it was it was awesome. Him like asking the receivers coach to, to let him speak, uh, let him talk to the group, and I think that's something they need. The the, the culture. I mean, you know, they're one and thirty-one the last two years, but it, you know, it goes deeper than that. It's other than two seasons in the last fifteen, they've been they've been garbage. Obviously, the culture change had to happen. So, like, I I, I like seeing that. I like seeing somebody somebody in this organization display some leadership and 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 to actually. I don't know. It didn't feel forced. It felt like a genuine, like a genuine leadership. Yeah. You know what? And, and he's kind of had that reputation of not just being outspoken and, and kind of vocal, but also being kind of a leader. And like, I think you nailed it. Like the one thing that this team needs more than anything else is toughness and a little bit of just like leadership and, and guys that have been there before and we like don't have that. And not even saying Jarvis Landry's been there before. You know, I know he's made the playoffs, but it's just like, man, this team needs more of a direction. The one thing that's been the problem the last couple of years is the veterans that were there were not the veterans that were going to like get stuff done. You know, it's been like, okay, they have a veteran backup quarterback that like, you know, helps out, and they have a veteran D back, but he's not that good. It's like, no, now the veterans that are on the team are the best players on the team. So I think that's gonna help a lot. Um, I think it's huge too because the only long-term veteran we had that mattered was Joe Thomas, and now he's gone. So yeah. like, there's a I mean, there was always a void, but like now with him gone, there's an even bigger void. Yeah, yeah. And you see some guys becoming the veteran. I mean, like Joel Batonio has now been around the block for a while, you know. And yeah. So yeah. some guys are becoming the veterans, but it is pretty cool to see just them bringing in this new vibe of like the we ain't fucking around crew you know yeah yeah so uh that was pretty cool that was pretty cool to see i was pretty happy with jarvis landry i've always been a big fan of his uh anyone that has ever played fantasy football with me knows that i'm like his biggest fan and i've just liked him ever since lsu and uh i mean if you're in a ppr league he is the god yeah yeah he is and i i to be honest i think his numbers might go down a little bit this year but he'll still be like a reliable wide receiver so uh i'm i'm with you there but you know not everything i thought was phenomenal last night uh i did notice a little bit of tension in the coaches meetings and i think they purposely put that stuff in there uh did you think anything of that yeah i mean i i, I texted you got you and you know, that group or group text we have, like, as soon as Haley made his whole, you know, disagreeing with the veterans day off, we got too much shit to do, we can't live in our fears, 
his whole little speech to you and to the other coaches, I texted you guys like, I, uh, it's pretty clear, Haley, I mean, I was probably overreacting, but like that Haley doesn't have a lot of respect for Hugh as a head coach. Um, I don't know if it's exactly that, but it's definitely, it's not surprising that the two people that stood up like in that episode talking about needing to change and what's been going on here has been bullshit were two newcomers who, not that the Dolphins are the greatest, but they're certainly a better organization than we are, especially yeah. the last few years. Mm-hmm. Landry, you know, like you said, Landry made the playoffs. He's coming in and he's calling bullshit. And then Todd Haley's been the offensive coordinator of the Steelers the last six years. And I mean, I hate them, you know, as much as anything in the known universe, but they are one of the best. Don't even have to say it. Organizations in in the NFL, and he's coming in saying like, "What the fuck are we doing? What what are we doing? Like, yeah, got all these guys standing around. Like, we went zero and six. We did not win a game last year. We have too much to get through. And I thought, I I think you're right. I think you know they tape a a shitload of stuff every week. I think they say it's like four hundred hours they record. It's unbelievable. They have eighty four cameras there. Right. And it's no surprise they included that because, I mean, one, it adds some drama. It's the OC, the new mm-hmm. offensive coordinator talking to the head coach. But it's also, you know, a guy who has been a part of su- successful organizations saying, guys, what are we doing? Like, yeah. we need to be better than this. Yeah, I mean, that was the one thing I took out of it. I don't think it's going to cause a problem. I don't think there's going to be a fight or anything between them. Like, some no, people... Yeah, like, and, and, and I don't think any of us think that. I just think it's like, I liked seeing it because it's like, yeah, this guy has actually, Todd Haley's been to the playoffs like every fucking year. And his one chance at a head coach, he actually brought a team with Matt Castle to the playoffs. So it's like, he's he's been there. He gets it. And like, the first thing he noticed about like the first couple days of camp, and he's like, the fuck's going on? Like, is like you guys know this is how you lose, right? Like, so I I like seeing that, and you know, to be honest, like not to like take a dig at Joe Thomas, which I'll never do. But one of the things he loved about Hugh Jackson was veterans' days off, and that he always allowed the kind of like veterans to coach themselves. And I'm like, yeah, Joe. I mean, we lost though. Like, like, and sometimes it takes a coach to come in there kick some people's asses to start winning. Like my favorite coach ever was my high school coach who fucking killed us all. But he, you know, we never had a losing season. We, we never went worse than eight and two. But also like, I love Joe Thomas. Yeah, obviously. Uh, But, but at the same time, like, yeah, of course he's going to feel that way. One, he's a player. And two, like he was all like, he's a first ballot hall of famer. Not every player is a first ballot hall of famer. Yeah, not everyone can coach themselves, yeah. Right, so, like, yes, he, he, he's right for himself, but, like, you know, I can name any number of players over the last 15, 20 years who, like, are not Joe Thomas's and, like, needed more coaching, needed mm-hmm. to, be, to be ridden more than, than a Joe Thomas would. So that, that's, you know, that... The Veterans Day Off, I get it. Like, you also don't want to burn your guys. Like, I get both sides of it to an extent. Mm-hmm. You don't want to burn your guys out in August because you're not winning any games right now. 
and you need to have, like you said, you know, I, I, these guys have to be available. But we suck. We've been one yeah. of the last yeah. years. Yeah, like, something's got to change. Something has to change. The culture is garbage. It's, mm-hmm. it's just it's undeniable that it's garbage. Yeah, yeah. Um, a couple things about this episode. Actually, it wasn't really about this episode. It's about this past week that we haven't seen yet. Obviously, the Corey Coleman trade happened, uh, and they have that on the preview for next week. And then Antonio Callaway getting in trouble. Not to like double dip into like misery, but uh, you know, this is what I'm looking forward to next week. I think we're going to see a little bit more into the Coleman trade that's like, look, this guy wasn't really going to be dependent upon him much on this team. Now, I know it's always helpful to have depth, but what do you think about that? Because we've gone back and forth on Coleman a lot recently. Yeah, I, I mean, I assume the next episode is going to be heavy on both of those things. Probably more Coleman because trading a first rounder from two years ago for essentially nothing is it's a big story. Uh, I, as you know, no secret, I've been highly critical of that trade. I just, from what I had been hearing, he had been having a good camp. But, I mean, forget all that. Forget any potential you see in the guy. Forget any, you know, hopes you have for for his future. I just, like, the value of it is what bothers me. And I guess if all the other teams knew that he was lazy or a locker room cancer, whatever is being put out there about him, I just think try and showcase him in a yeah. preseason game. Yeah. Wait a handful of weeks. Somebody's going to have, I mean, as much as it sucks, somebody's going to have an injury and have a more urgent need for receiver where you could at least get better than a, I mean, a seventh round pick two years from now. I mean, that, that like, I think the, you know, the draft value, like draft pick, the draft charts, the draft value charts are a little overrated, but like, that, that's literally Nothing. almost zero value. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it, it's the equivalent of cutting it. No, you're right. And I mean, the one thing that I get when looking at that is, okay, we didn't trade him to get something because we got nothing. You know, like I understand if they got, if they traded him and got a third rounder and you're like, all right, they're trying to get something out of him before he turns to nothing. But they didn't get something. So it's like, why trade him? It seems like it was more of a sending a message type thing rather than anything else. But it it just comes off a little hypocritical. And I've been very pro-Dorsey ever since he's come in. But this is a hypocritical move because it's like, you know, oh, his lethargic attitude's not okay. But like, if he were better, it wouldn't be okay. Because that's what Gordon and Callaway are kind of seemingly getting a lot of chances and yeah. uh, I know it's all at this one position of wide receiver, but it just seems like this was more of a uh, message to the team than anything else because I can't imagine him being that bad of a locker room cancer without ever hearing about that. Right. I, I agree. Like, I'm not against sending messages to the team, changing the culture like we just said. Uh, but at the same time, Josh Gordon, I, and I'm... I'm I wouldn't say I'm a Josh Gordon apologist, but I'm a I, I'm I'm definitely in the camp of patience. Let this guy figure things out because he literally has Hall of Fame talent. Yeah. But like we've given 
more chances than probably any team has given any athlete. I mean, I, I think you could comb the depths of, of all pro sports. I can't imagine a franchise giving a player more chances than the Browns have given Josh Gordon. And now they're giving, I mean, they're giving Antonio Callaway a chance just by drafting him. Like that's, you're looking the other way on a lot of things. And now we have not like the worst. I mean, marijuana possession for a very small amount is, is, is obviously not some huge criminal ordeal, but still given his past, He's already had a, had a an arrest, well, like a, a citation or whatever mm-hmm. it is before the first preseason game. Yeah. So like that that's okay. All of Josh Gordon's transgressions are okay, but Corey Coleman's are not. And I just I agree. I think there's a little bit of talking out of both sides of your mouth. Um, mm-hmm. A little bit of hypocritical. Plus. I, I know so many Browns and all these injury problems. Well, he broke bones in his hand twice. I don't know if it's, you know, if it was hamstring and calf injuries the last two years, I would agree. But I don't know that somebody stepping on your hand and breaking a bone means you're injury prone. Right. I think that's, you know, that's just applying you know, physics. Yeah. But, like, he's shown flashes. Like, they're, they're, they're. There's talent there. His second game he ever played, he had 105 yards and two touchdowns. We were right in front of us. We were there. Yeah. Yeah. So. So, but my, my main issue was no value in the trade. I'm fine sending a message, but you got no value and you took a position that we were already, you know, risky. Then. Yeah. And we, we, we've historically been horrible at that position since we've come back. Mm-hmm. And you made it even thinner, and then, you know, I don't know, what, 12 hours later or whatever it is, we find out about about the Callaway deal, who he had been named a starter. So now we're, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm actually a Higgins defender. Oh, and I, oh I love Higgins. Hollywood Higgins. I'm a big fan of his. Big, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, like, the guy has had very limited yeah. production in two years, and all of a sudden, like, he's basically a, your number two receiver. Yeah, no, it's... Yeah, no, it's, I mean, look, it's obviously a big risk, you know, and sending that message, it's like, at what cost? Uh, they knew somewhat about the Callaway stuff, we know that, but you know what? It, they're now going to have to live with that, and the worst part is, I'm with you, Buffalo could flip Corey Coleman two weeks from now and probably get a fourth-round pick for him. You know? uh, yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's where we're all at with the, you got no value, what was the point in trading him? And you know, Dorsey has shown that he hasn't exactly gotten the best of value on these trades. So, regardless of that, we're gonna have to, you know, we'll have to monitor Corey Coleman now in Buffalo because we're all gonna be paying attention. But for it's next, eight days yeah, yeah, true, good point. So, with coming up next week, what are you looking forward to? I know we talked about those two things that'll probably dominate, but what are you kind of hoping to see a little bit more out of the Browns and? training camp and hard knocks going forward. Uh, yeah, I, I'm assuming that will dominate the beginning of, of next week's episode. I want to see, I mean, I enjoyed it this week and I want to see more uh, Baker and Tyrod. Yeah. I, I think just, I think they're both actually, I mean, Baker is clearly a very magnetic personality, but I, I want to see the two of them. I think they seem to be already, 
uh, working well together. You know, they, yeah, they, gelling. They yeah, both understand their roles, and 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 I want to see more of that. Uh, I mean, you and I are both former alignment, and we saw literally next to nothing from the O line, and those are always the quirky, weird fat dudes. So I want to mm-hmm. I want to see some quirky, weird fat dudes. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm all for it. Like I, you know, it's a little bit a little bit of a football nerd thing, but. You know, you have a guy in Joel Batonio who's a top, you know, Pro Bowl level guard who's moving to left tackle. You know, that that whole dynamic. I, I want to see what the discussions are around that, how they came to that decision, because they had, they had said days before that that was Plan C, and then they went ahead and did it like forty eight hours later. Yeah. So, and uh, you know, you, you can't show enough shirtless Miles Garrett for me. What's no. It, the guy's a freak. Yeah. David Njoku is, is my guy, too. And, and that yeah, would we be... We barely saw that guy. I know. We've we barely seen David Njoku. We saw, like, four seconds of Jabril Peppers. I want to see more Denzel Ward because I think, like, he's a very forgotten... Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, at a very important position because the Browns cornerbacks last year were garbage. And he has yeah. a chance to really wow a lot of people because... Not a lot of people liked him going there. I'm, I'm not even talking about Cleveland fans. I'm just talking about the NFL in general. They're like, ooh, Denzel Ward at number four? It's like, well, the guy was going to be a top ten pick no matter what. So why are you treating him like four was so bad? That's one of the things that always bothers me. I'm like, so you drafted him four spots higher than you think his value was. In the grand scheme of things, like, is that really the biggest deal? I loved Ward. I thought he was the number one cornerback. Mm-hmm. Uh, I... I would have, if I was making the pick, I'd probably take Bradley Chubb, but I was not pissed about that because, like you yeah. said, if the guy's projected to go seven, eight, nine, or whatever, and they take him at four, it's a very, very slight reach, but at a position of need, we haven't had a shutdown corner in... Since I mean, Joe Hayden was good. Joe Hayden in, like, what, 2013? Yeah, I was going to say 11, 12, yeah. Yeah, it, it's been like Joe Hayden's like second, third year since we had a guy that could shut down one side of the field. So I like the board pick, and and everything I'm hearing out of camp is like, oh yeah, he's going to be a starter from day one. Like he he's the guy. The wide receivers um, speak very highly of him, which I really like. Yeah, I mean that that's great to hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, you know, Buckeyes and Cleveland native. Hashtag gets us, you know, like <laughs> he's, he's going to be high on that, on that scale. So there's a lot of gets us movement going on right now. I'm surprised they didn't, like, I hope that's next week. They didn't show him like eating at his childhood home with his family and, you know, like all that type of. Type and of and Baker stuff. and Baker eating like fast food or something because right. he has no, that, yeah, he doesn't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's it, there's a lot of really fun stuff to get to. They focused a lot on like you know like the Hugh Jackson, like his his family stuff was really unfortunate. Yes. Like that was that was topical this week. But I feel like it's gonna get dramatic, and there's gonna be there's more storylines around this Browns team than any I can imagine in uh, Hard Knocks. But listen, Pat, I really appreciate you coming on to the podcast, and uh, I look forward to talking to you plenty about this going forward. Absolutely. All right. Take care, Maurice. All right, no problem. Bye bye.